Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Market View on Money FM 89.3. That's right, you're listening to Money FM 89.3. Time now for Market View, where we take a look at how the Singapore stock market is likely to close for the day, the biggest movers, sectors and companies to watch. But as always, a quick recap of how we started. Singapore shares fell at the open today, tracking overnight losses in global markets. So in early trade, the STI was down 0.1% to 3,215 points after some 40 million securities changed hands in the broader market. But not to worry, the STI back up again. Closing numbers are still firming up, but here's what I have. Have on my screen, the STI marginally up 0.05% at 3,218 points. In terms of value turnover, we are looking at 1.44 billion Sing dollars. The gainers outnumbered losers 326 versus 219. Top five movers by value we've got here UOB, DBS, SIA, OCBC, and Semco Industries. Heavily traded securities included Citrim, Thai Beverage, and Dynamac. Now, in terms of companies to watch, we do have UOB posting that profit for the fourth quarter 21.8% higher on higher net fee income and other non-interest income. Now, elsewhere, from Wilma International to S Reads, more local companies in focus, and also on deck, Nvidia's earnings as well as uh, moves by Taiwan semiconductor firms to expand in Japan. Now, uh, we're supposed to talk to Terence Wong, CEO of Azure Capital, and we are trying to get him on the line. And now we've got Terence joining us on the line. Terence, how are you? I'm great, Tintian. Hey, good to have you on board. And let's start with uh, minutes from the Fed's latest policy meeting. They were out overnight. Officials indicating that there were no rush to cut rates. How far was that within your expectations? Any spillover effects to the STI today? Well, we were talking about this uh, just a couple of weeks back on air with you, right? That was in the midst of my CNY shopping. Yeah, I think um, so. And at that point in time, it was uh, end January, uh, the Fed was really talking about, you know, pushing back market expectations of rate cuts. Uh, because uh, at that point in time, many uh, pundits, traders, analysts, market watchers, they were all expecting, uh, they were all expecting a rate cut starting as soon as March. So uh, the, the Fed came out with what seemed to be a hawkish stance as part of the sales in global markets. Mm. So this announcement that was made earlier this morning uh, should come as no surprise. Uh, in fact, the uh, hotter expected inflation data in recent weeks has also really tempered market expectations uh, for as many as six cuts this year. Traders, I think, are now looking at four. Uh, and after this uh, Fed meeting, uh, probably they'll revise down the guidance to maybe three cuts this year. Uh, so like I said, no... Uh, change in expectations when it comes to rate cuts it's not going to happen in any time in March uh, likely to be June at the earliest so the the markets were also also really saw not much of a reaction mm, right and I do want to talk about uh, SGX listed counters uh, any surprises among them today I mean we've seen Wilma International up some 4% after net profit for the half year ended December came in 21.3% uh, lower how would you read into this Mm, core profits for Wilma uh, seem to be below, actually not seem, it's, it's actually below uh, street expectations. Yeah. Uh, on a, just, uh, early on, I think you just mentioned the half-year numbers. But if you look at a quarterly basis, which probably would be what uh, some of the other investors are looking at, uh, mm. because the first, I mean, the, the, 
the third quarter, I mean the first quarter ending September is really known. Uh, but for the second quarter, the the second quarter it was down nine percent year on year. Uh, but that, uh, if you look at it from a quarter on quarter basis, it will have jumped up thirty seven percent. That may excite some people. But if you look at the operating margins, uh, still weak at point five percent. That's a bit below the the recent average of three percent. Uh, I we haven't gone for the briefing. I, I think they're just briefing uh, analysts in the afternoon. Uh, but uh, just scanning through the commentary regarding uh, Wilma points to uh, some of the tougher operating conditions uh, this year. Well, not mm. tougher, but tough, generally tough. And and uh, the margins for tropical oil, uh, which is very, very key, uh, that uh, remains to be depressed, uh, as well as China. I mean, China markets, uh, they're quite dependent on the consumer markets in China. Uh, if it doesn't pick up, uh, that uh, would actually hit uh, Wilma. Uh, one good thing about it uh, for Wilma is that uh, the the full year dividends uh, that that is uh, I, I think now they're offering an effective yield of over five percent, hmm. uh, which should uh, which should interest at least some of these uh, yield hunters. Right. Aside from Wilma, um, Terence, we've got a number of S REITs reporting their distribution numbers today as well. ARAUS Hospitality Trust's distribution per staple security for the half year ended December for one thing was up 18.6%. Now, at Prime US REIT, we saw units trading some 27% low at one point today. DPU for second half fell over 90% on the year. Which one of these really stood out to you? I, I think US REITs uh, generally that spooks, uh, that, that really spooked uh, investors. Yeah. Uh, but, well, I guess. I guess I guess at a certain point, there will be a value if it doesn't go bust, right? So for Prime US REIT, the uh, market has been, I think, paying close attention on the extent of the valuation decline for US office REITs uh, that could uh, potentially result in gearing and financial covenant breaches uh, as a result uh, and as a result uh, a default scenario. That's the worst case scenario. Uh, but the extent of valuation decline wasn't that large and really within expectation and uh, the REIT didn't breach any kind of financial covenants or gearing limits which is a big relief I think for many uh, investors or shareholders of the company uh, and and the REIT actually reacted with uh, it also announced it is actively working on upcoming loan refinancing with the banks uh, the, the stock price I think uh, up to just an hour plus ago was up 30%. Right. If you're just tuning in, we're now in conversation with Terence Wong, CEO of Azure Capital. And uh, Terence, I do want to take a look at UOB, the lender's net profit for the fourth quarter, up 21.8% on higher net fee income and other non-interest income. How far was this within your expectations and how does it compare against market expectations than looking at the share price movements today? Well, the, the net interest margin, uh, which is very key for the bank, for the quarter was uh, down 20 bits uh, to just over uh, 2%. Uh, this was on the back of uh, loan margin compression. Uh, as, as there's really very keen competition for high-quality credit. Uh, net profit for the three months uh, stood at $1.4 billion. Uh, that's uh, slightly, that's a, a tad better than $1.2 billion from a year ago. Um, this was, however, uh, also slightly lower than the $1.5 billion, uh, that the market was expecting. And and this 
this uh, numbers actually included $94 million uh, one of expense from uh, UOB's uh, Citigroup integration uh, cost after the taxes. Uh, last year, uh, this was this expense was about $70 million. So if you, if you were to like add it back up, um, the numbers are still slightly below expectations, though mm. not uh, by such a great, uh, by, though the difference was not so great. Mm, and I do want to take a look at what's happening across Asia. Uh, Terence is a sea of green. Markets opened mostly higher as well after earnings from NVIDIA topped expectations. Now, first things first, how would you read into NVIDIA's earnings and how has that optimism really filtered down to various Asian counters, particularly when we look at chip-related stocks? Okay, you know, I was wrong a couple of times, I think, <laughs> over the past year when you asked me this question, yeah. right? I'm prepared to be wrong again, but never mind. I'm going to give it a shot. So is it overvalued or not <laughs> overvalued? <laughs> okay, first up, the numbers the numbers are just, I thought, mind-blowing. Yeah. Right? Uh, already the expectations were so high, but yet they still managed to beat it by over 10%. So mm. the... And, and and what's uh, and I mentioned my doing. Well, what's crazy is that the the expectations is high. They beat it, and then in twenty twenty four, moving into twenty twenty five, they are now saying that there's going to be continued growth. Mm. Uh, so uh, I I still think that it is. I mean, I like I said the last couple yeah. of times I mentioned that I thought it was expensive, but now it's flirting with two trillion dollars. Yeah. In terms of market cap, uh, and, and it's not, I, and I can see why you know that the the demand for this product, that the products are going to take the market, continue to take the market by storm. Uh, it is the go-to AI chip maker uh, mm. with ChatGPT, with its ability to generate human-like responses. Right, it is very trainable. It's it's trained and it run on thousands of Nvidia's uh, GPUs. So if you if you look at the rest of the guys uh, that are supplying or they have some uh, relationship with NVIDIA, all of them have popped up to the uh, TSMC, for example, jumped as much as 2%. Uh, wow. At the end of the day, at 1.6%. Right. right. Um, and and uh, we've got the likes of Hynix. Hynix is yeah. 5%. I'm just looking at the screen right now. Hmm. Right? Uh, and Hynix does uh, memory chips and and uh, the likes of ChatGPT really rely a lot on high-performance memory chips. Mm. Uh, and then that's good news for the likes of NVIDIA, which means that Hynix also benefit. Right. I was looking at the revenue numbers for NVIDIA, uh, $22.1 billion USD for fiscal fourth quarter. We're talking about yearly increase of 265%. And if we look at stock movements right now for NVIDIA in the pre-market, it's up some 13.1%, man. Um, but at the same time, Terence, I do want to take a look at chip firms within Asia. Taiwanese chip companies expanding to Japan amid Japan's efforts to build the semicon industry. Now, of course, coming back on that ongoing U.S.-China tensions, how would you read into this and how far will Japan's attractiveness to these firms really boost its economy? Well, uh, TSMC, I think, reported its second factory over in Japan, and yeah, and it's not chum change. I think they are pouring like what twenty billion dollars in there. Uh, the influx, uh, and and I, I think that some quarters, expectedly, will be very excited about Japanese uh, the the chip sector's prospects. Uh, and this influx uh, comes amid shifting 
you know, alliances uh, in the global chip industry as the uh, U.S. is now pushing to limit right. China's progress in cutting-edge uh, semiconductors. So China, on the other hand, they're trying to build up their own industry. And I read the Reuters report, they say at least nine Taiwanese chip firms have also uh, basically migrated or set up shop over in Japan. And this is not unexpected given that, you know, the, the big brother, yeah. PSMC, is moving over there. So I, I, I believe that the supply chain uh, will also be the following suit. Uh, but Japan is really not new to this game. Back in the 1980s, the market share of global chip manufacturing was 50%. Mm. That's Japan's market share. Uh, of course, over the years, uh, given the cost increase and and very keen competition from the likes of Korea and Taiwan, uh, this market share shrunk to just 10% mm. in, in recent years. But, but the infrastructure is there. The, yeah. the people are there, right? And it may be... Uh, slightly more expensive than the likes of Taiwan and China, but they, they do have the know-how. And, and the Japanese government is willing to pour in lots of money, lots of subsidy, and, and they're banking on their close relationship with the US and the West, and hence drawing a lot of the manufacturing uh, guys to go back to, uh, to, to head back to, to Japan to produce these chips. Right, certainly lots to watch in this space as well, and we'll keep a lookout for that too. Uh, thanks a lot, Terence. That was Terence Wong, CEO, Azure Capital. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.